You put your all into delivering quality and value on time. And when your customer doesn't pay, it doesn't just hurt your feelings. It hurts your business. At MetCredit, we get it. We collect overdue receivables fast and treat your customers with respect. Go to MetCredit.com to get started. MetCredit, we get it. This is Overdue Advice, the podcast about how and why debt collection works for your business. Brought to you by MetCredit. Everybody pay up. Welcome to Overdue Advice. My name is Bryn Griffiths. Today we talk about the fine line many companies walk each month. The question is a simple one, but the answer isn't so simple. It's all about knowing when a business should litigate and when it shouldn't, and when should they turn to a company like MetCredit. Business owners often have a hard time making this decision, and there's a good reason for that. It's a decision loaded with plenty of emotion, tons of angst, and a smidge of confusion, too. Well, joining us on today's podcast is Howard Snyderman. He's a barrister and solicitor at Witten LLP. He's also a popular guest speaker and featured at this year's National Credit Conference in Banff, Alberta. Okay, I got to get this straight right off the top. Howard or Howie? It's Howie. Only my mother calls me Howard and, and only when she's mad at me. So And Howard, Howie, Howard looks good, though, on the wall, on the documentation. Is that how we want sure. to view that? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Howie, uh, how long have you known the guys at MedCredit for? I'm going to say 30 years, Bryn. It's been a long time since Dave Hopkins and, and I uh, first met and did a lot of work together and still do for the Credit Institute of Canada. It's been a uh, it's been a long, fun ride with Dave and the people there, yes. Hey, before we get too deep into this, let's talk about the, the National Credit Conference, a big event in Banff coming up here in June. Somebody may download this after the fact, but you're one of the big speakers. I don't know about the big speakers, but I'm <laughs> one of the speakers they invited, and I'm, I'm happy to help out. You know, I've been uh, helping with seminars on the local scene and the provincial scene for them for a number of years now, and having this chance uh, to have the National Credit uh, conference finally back, you know, in person and holding it in a place like Banff. I mean, we've got people coming from uh, definitely every corner of Canada, but uh, having a chance to, to talk about some of the specialty areas that I work in uh, will be fun because the people uh, who are going to be there, I know, are are uh, dedicated to their craft and, and really good at what they do. So I'm hopeful it'll be a good conversation and, and a meaningful uh, experience for us all. Howie, tell everybody where you're working and specifically the kind of law that you practice. Sure. I'm with a law firm in downtown Edmonton. The name of the firm is Witten LLP. Uh, been around for almost 100 years. And uh, I'm um, 41 years a uh, commercial, corporate commercial litigator. You know, uh, basically uh, it's one company suing another company over a contract that at the time they thought made sense to them. And then for whatever reason, it didn't make sense. And now we have to either enforce the contract or try and explain why the contract is unenforceable. Um, so the other lawyer and I often spend uh, time throwing paper at one another, frankly, for a couple of years or so. But either we settle these things or we end up at a trial and, and let a judge make the, de the decision. But that's what I do. So over the 100 years you've been practicing, how much has changed? You know, just the fact that we're talking today over Zoom is, uh, is a micro speck 
of the things that have changed. I like to give the example of carbon paper. Um, if I showed my children, or never mind my three-and-a-half-year-old grandson, uh, a piece of carbon paper, they wouldn't know what it is, uh, and nor should they. Um, for environmental reasons alone. But the reality is the exponential growth of digital technology has affected and changed everything about everything all of us do every day. Uh, and that certainly is the case with respect to the practice of law. So that's the biggest change is the technology. But the underlying principles, I'm happy to say, and because I'm a mentor to the, uh, maybe a tour mentor, I don't know, to the younger associates and, and students that I train at, uh, and supervise at the firm, um, <clears throat> for them, the technology comes straightforward. It's easy. It's what they've actually grown up with. Again, they wouldn't have a clue what carbon paper is. But um, the underlying fundamentals of how you practice law those haven't changed. And, uh, and later on in this conversation, I think I'm going to have a chance to give you an example of exactly that. So what made you go in this particular direction, legally speaking? Huh. You know, uh, <clears throat> I didn't have any lawyers in my family growing up. So I actually didn't know what lawyers did, although I saw some of my friends going to law school and thought at the time, sure, sounds like a good idea. So that's where I ended up. But the truth is, when I went to law school, I did have some idea of what lawyers did, because like everybody else in the world, I go to movies, I saw TV, I read books, and I know that all lawyers are either prosecutors putting people in jail, or they're defense lawyers and they're trying to keep them out. And the problem for me, Bryn, is that by the time I got out of law school three years later, I still thought that was the case, even though I knew it wasn't. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, and I, I did a lot of criminal defense work to start out the first few years of practice. But uh, gradually, and <clears throat> it wasn't too long after, really, that I found my niche was in uh, corporate commercial litigation. I always wanted to be a courtroom lawyer, a, a trial lawyer. Um, but um, I was having difficulty dissociating myself from and being dispassionate, which is absolutely the first thing a criminal law, a defense lawyer needs to be able to, you know, dissociate themselves from their, their client. Um, you can't take to heart uh, the fact that someone might end up in jail uh, and maybe for a long, long time. You can't take to heart the reality of the crime that may well have been committed. You need to be a very special kind of uh, mental makeup and emotional makeup, I think, and I didn't have that. I felt I was getting too involved, too uh, connected with the, the situation. And um, the commercial litigation side of things is totally different. I'm not invested in the outcome other than I want to do the best for my client. I want a good outcome. Um, but <clears throat> uh, I know nobody's going to jail at the end of the day. Everybody's going home. And and to me, that's uh, that's sort of been everything. Having that mindset has allowed me to, I think, be as good an advocate as I need to be uh, for my clients. So where's the biggest challenge for you? Um, I think the biggest challenge is uh, understanding that civility and compromise in the law is just as important as it is in everyday life. And when everyday life starts to in impede in, in, in the work uh, area, 
and I see a little bit of loss of civility and a little bit of loss of collegiality, it upsets me. It, it truly does. On the other hand, I've got to tell you that I love what I do and I've loved it for all these years uh, because of the people. It, it, Like everything else in life, it comes down to the people. I really enjoy the people I work with, uh, whether they're my clients, the lawyers on the other side, the judges in courtrooms, uh, and certainly the you know my colleagues here at my firm over the years. Uh, I really enjoy that. And having those opportunities to engage with people, that's everything. Well, the biggest topic for us on this particular podcast is knowing the difference between when a business should litigate and when they shouldn't. Where do we dive in on this one? I, I, I guess the first thing is, is there's emotion involved here. It's, it's got to be a tough decision for people. Yeah, it is. And in fact, it's uh, uh, for many people, um, the idea of fighting for your principles, and I'm sure you've heard this before, uh, that's an important aspect. And if, you know, if you've got a big streak of justice running down your back, you're going to want to see justice done. And so, in other words, I'm going to sue that so-and-so because they owe me the money. And that's that. Um, And and you can't dissuade someone and shouldn't dissuade someone from wanting to follow their principles. But what you should do, at least in my opinion, and what I do, is I let them know uh, that you have to wear a business person's cap and you have to think like a business person. And so the decisions you make have to be um, you know, not just tinged, but really in a big way based upon business realities, what's commercially realistic and, and, and smart. So whether or not then you want to spend your fortune defending your principles, I can't stop you and I won't stop you, but I'm going to point out to you every step of the way that it's commercially stupid and unreasonable if that's the case. They always talk about emotion being a bad thing when making business decisions. I'm guessing it's exactly the same with you and potential clients. You've got to find a way to just have a bit of arm's distance from the emotional part of it all. You, it's more than an arm's distance. <laughs> it has to be out of the room. Okay. It has to be out of sight. You have to be thinking. You have to be, uh, and you have to be thinking strategically, um, and you know, from all different strategic points of view, financial, um, and that brings into account, uh, you know, a lot more than just finances. Uh, uh, you know, if it's a family business dispute. It's not just business, right? Right. Uh, it, it can't get any worse, frankly, in many ways than a family business dispute because you've got all the worst aspects involved. What is the most common you, thing you hear from potential clients? Is there one thing that really stands out? Um, I don't think so. I think it's a it's a it's a sort of a spectrum of things. Um, some people uh, are, you know, very concerned about their own the impact on them financially. And I'm going to look at this for our discussion. It's easiest from the point of view of the creditor, that is someone who is owed money and hasn't been paid what they believe they're entitled to be paid. Uh, I think for many of them, they'll say, if I don't collect that money, that's going to affect me financially. It's, you know, it's, it's obvious that it'll affect them financially, but deeper uh, than just the mere fact that they will will perhaps not uh, collect what they think they're owed. So, um, <clears throat> so that's a, uh, an item on the spectrum of concerns that I hear about. And on the other very end, as I said before, it's 
I entered into this contract with this other person and they have some nerve not living up to their end of the bargain. Right. And I'm going to hold their feet to the fire to make sure that happens. So you, you can see we're, we're, you know, it's anything in between there too. Ben. So is timing the big thing here? Just finding the right time to, <laughs> to go forward with this or no? No, actually timing isn't everything. Okay. Um, important is actually uh, a lot of, um, <clears throat> if the time allows, a lot of forethought, a lot of, frankly, background digging. I find that much of my work uh, involves, uh, it's akin to being a private investigator, frankly. Um, the more information you have, the better the decision you'll make. And therefore, spending the time and the effort gathering together the information up front before you make the decision as, how, as to how you're going to proceed, it's going to be a better decision. It's going to be a smarter decision. It's going to be a business-like decision. So timing, of course, is important, Brent, but it, it's not everything. Uh, information is, is more important. So, so you have somebody out there who's debating whether or not to go to a collection agency like MedCredit or to come to somebody like you, what's the tipping point for people? Well, um, <clears throat> I think the first question you asked when we started this discussion was people need to figure out when it's time to litigate. Right. And I'm going to say this. I think it's time to litigate if you've done all your background homework, have all the information in front of you, and it's pretty clear there's going to be a fight over liability. So that's Point one, okay. when you know that the other side is actually going to fight back, then you, you may need to, to get involved with litigation. If, on the other hand, you suspect that they're not going to fight and they'll roll over and it's only a question of applying the necessary pressure, well, then uh, perhaps um, perhaps then, you know, there's no need to litigate and you can look at a different uh, a different avenue, like a collection agency. Um, and then there's a secondary factor I, I think that's really important to keep in mind, and that is after you've done and collected that background information, you should have a pretty good idea about whether or not there's actually a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Because if your background info is telling you, and again, a collection agency through the credit uh, bureau checks that that they can complete can give you an idea on this. Um, <clears throat> the question is, if there's no pot of gold and it's pretty certain you're not going to collect, well, why would you bother litigating? And that's a tough decision for a lot of people to accept. I must I must tell you. I was just going to ask whether or not people come to you and then they find out after a discussion with you that maybe they're better off going back the original way that they were thinking, and that's going back to Med Credit or somebody like that. It may be. Um, um, there are a number of factors that come into play when having to make a decision about a credit agency, a collection agency, or, or a lawyer. Um, if they've made the decision that it makes sense to litigate, if they've made the decision that it looks like there might be um, uh, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow reason to, to collect, well, then they're way ahead of the game and they can make an informed decision. If they haven't got a clue on those things, though, if they haven't got a clue, they can go either way. They can go to a lawyer, they can go to a collection agency and probably either route, find out the information they need, the background info to finally decide 
is it time to litigate to actually start a lawsuit? But <clears throat> there's a few underlying factors or considerations that everybody should know about. Um, and they're just general, simple things. The first is the jurisdiction of the courts in Alberta. You don't have to have a lawyer to sue someone in the provincial court civil division. We call it small claims court. Everybody will just, right. you and I'll call it small claims. Everybody understands that. So you don't have to have a lawyer to sue somebody in small claims court. Their jurisdiction is for claims up to $50,000. So, you know, that's a lot of money. And the fact is then there's a lot of disputes that are probably the majority of them that are well under that jurisdictional limit. And therefore, if you don't have to have a lawyer to litigate in small claims court, go ahead. If you're going to litigate, you've made the decision to litigate, you don't necessarily need a collection agency either. You can do it yourself. Now, collection agencies will provide agents, trained paralegals, to represent you in a small claims court matter. Uh, just as a lawyer would represent you in a small claims court matter. The difference, though, is in the Court of Queen's Bench, the higher court. There, for all matters, and they have jurisdiction no matter what the, the dollar value is, um, there, if you're an individual, you can appear and represent yourself in a Court of Queen's Bench lawsuit. But if you're a company, a corporate entity, you cannot. You must have a lawyer to represent you, um, and particularly as a plaintiff. There's leeway. It's always in the court's discretion. But generally speaking, if you're a plaintiff and you're trying to pursue collection uh, based on a, a contract dispute, um, a company must be represented by a lawyer. Credit collection agencies, generally speaking, they will not themselves uh, be your agent in a court of Queen's bench lawsuit, um, they will retain a lawyer to represent you in, in that case. So if that's the case, then there are different considerations that you'd think about as to why would I hire a lawyer as opposed to a collection agency. Um, <clears throat> and if you like, I'll continue, Brent, with some of those thoughts. Sure, absolutely. Okay. Because uh, I like your questions. Thank you. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> but, you know, the practical considerations then, why would I choose a lawyer versus a collection agency to represent me, whether it's small claims court or certainly in the court of Queen's Bench, you're going to need a lawyer. So let's go, let's go down to small claims court claims, 50,000 or less. Why would I choose one or the other? Well, winning in court um, and this is coming from a guy who, you know, taught trial advocacy at the law school for 17 years. I mean, what am I teaching these students? I'm teaching them, what do you need to do to persuade the judge that your client is right? Uh, it's, I remember uh, one year a student told me, you know, it's not very politically co correct what you're teaching here, Howie, because you're teaching people that they should want to win instead of find a win-win solution for everybody. And I said, you know, I understand that. And that's what mediation is all about. That's a, a great alternative dispute resolution method. Try, you know, to reach a, a compromise. But if you've decided to pursue a claim in court, um, or alternatively, you know, since it's not your choice sometimes, if somebody's suing you and you're in court, you better want to win. 
Uh, I don't mean win at all costs. That's not permissible. There are ethical, moral, legal, uh, you know, rules that prevent anybody from perjuring themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the bottom line is if you're in court, you should want to win. So how do you win in court? It's a three-step process. And remember, we're still talking about why would I choose a lawyer as against a collection agency if I had a matter in court? Well, right. <clears throat> to win in court, there are three steps. First, it's the law. Uh, sorry, first, it's the facts. Then the issues that arise as a result of those facts. And then the law that's applicable to helping the court, the judge, decide um, how to go based on what those issues actually are. So lawyers are trained to identify the issues that arise as a result of the facts, and then to find the applicable law, and then to advocate um, how, those, how those legal principles relate to the, the, the issues and, and therefore ultimately the facts. Now, collection agency paralegals, on the other hand, that's not what they're trained to do. What they do very well, though, when they're acting as an agent in court, is present the facts. And oftentimes, that's enough. Oftentimes, particularly in small claims court matters, where, where the evidentiary rules are a little bit more elastic, and I'll elaborate on that if you wish, but <clears throat> oftentimes in small claims court matters, it's only the facts that the judge wants to hear about. <clears throat> it's only the facts that matter. And a judge's decision is going to be based on a judge's assessment, often a credibility. Who does the judge believe? Now, that's the case in any lawsuit. It's a case in any criminal matter as well. Um, who does the judge believe? Credibility is king. But where it can be backed up, as is often the case in commercial contract disputes, by the contracts themselves, that is the documents, what people say doesn't matter as much as what the documents say. Okay. And, and that's a pretty straightforward statement, right? If a contract says X, whether or not X is true is up for debate. But you can't debate the fact that that's what the contract says. It's in black and white, right? So that's a starting point for judges. And so when these contract disputes go to court, um, it's often black and white. And judges are able to make pretty easy decisions, uh, I think, in many instances, because the contract speaks for itself. And there isn't a lot of embellishment or factual uh, information needed aside from that. And that's why the collection agency paralegals who do this day in, day out, like they're, they're very good at what they do in, in, uh, in court, uh, they can often present the case in a very straightforward way because it's based on the facts and nothing more than that. The lawyers, um, and, and this goes back, Ren, to the beginning when I was talking about the, <clears throat> are we going to face a fight? Is the other side, there are two things, remember, we got to keep in mind. Is the other side going to fight liability and, and take the position they don't owe anything, they're not liable? And, and then the other is, is there a pot of gold making it worthwhile in the first place, right? But if we go to that first one, liability, if we know the other side's going to fight, now becomes a little bit more important perhaps to have a lawyer assisting you so that the proper identification of the legal issues as a result of what 
the two sides are saying, the factual case, um, uh, uh, you have a chance to, to have uh, uh, someone properly trained identify those issues and then go ahead and do the necessary research to find the law that they can then provide to the judge to help the judge determine that, yep, there's the decision I have to come to based upon these circumstances. I, I must say, uh, those of us who practice for many years and in uh, the small claims courts will have some concerns about the rules of evidence, as I mentioned before, and how the, the procedural rules allow the judges to apply them or not apply them as stringently as they feel is necessary in any given case. In the higher courts, in the Court of Queen's Bench, there's much, there, there's frankly none, uh, no liberties taken with the rules of evidence. They are what they are. If you want to make an argument that they say or should be interpreted this way or that way, you go ahead and make your argument and the judge will tell you what they think the, the law is. But that's not the case in small claims court. And it's, it's I think, by design uh, to allow for a very quick summary way for judges to just make a decision using the best information at hand, and often, again, it boils down to the simple facts and not much more is needed. So that was a long answer to your short question, which is why a lawyer versus a, uh, versus a, a collection agency. And then there's part two, um, Brent. <laughs> I've talked about the practical considerations now. Right. What, what, why would you want a lawyer? Because they're trained to present a case. And if you've got a case that it looks like the other side's going to fight you, you probably want a lawyer to help you. Um, then there's the other side of this, though, and it's the cost. Right. The single biggest cause of bad debt write-offs is procrastination. With every day you wait, the chances of ever getting paid go down. At MetCredit, we get it. We collect business receivables fast. And if we don't succeed, you don't pay. Go to MetCredit.com and stop waiting for money you deserve. MetCredit, we get it. If I'm a client and I'm coming to see me, I'm going to make sure that part of that initial discussion, whether it's on the phone or uh, by email or in person, however it goes down, I'm going to make sure that it includes a discussion about costs. Now, you'll do the same thing if you're going to a collection agency. You want to know how much are they going to charge for assistance as well. But I'm going to tell you, hands down, lawyers are more expensive. We know that. That's just the simple fact. So how do you deal with that? Well, collections agencies will usually take on your case on what we'll call a contingency fee basis. Okay. By that, I mean, they'll take a percentage of what they recover for you. So if you say, so-and-so and I had a contract and they owe me $20,000, the collection agency will say, great, we'll, ha we'll be happy to take on the case and we'll do our best to collect every penny of it. Understand, we're agreeing that X percent we keep and of whatever we recover, we keep and, and Y percent you keep. And if we don't collect anything, well, then we'll have to figure out whether we're going to get anything for our efforts and maybe some disbursements you'll have to pay for, um, things like filing fees or, or things like that, and maybe you won't. <clears throat> the same considerations apply with law firms. You can always ask the law firm to take on the case 
on a contingency fee basis where the law firm will take a percentage of what they recover. But except for, I would say, large volume clients, my firm, for example, does uh, collections for a number of credit card companies. Those are large volumes. Unfortunately, yeah. a lot of people default on, on their credit cards. Uh, when you you know take on large volume clients like that, they're number one going to get a discounted rate anyways, and they're going to uh, oftentimes be able to make a deal that's based on a percentage of the recovery so that the credit card company is only paying uh, in the event there's actually recovery. Um, well, one-off clients who don't have that large volume are going to have a diff more difficult time having a lawyer agree to take on a case on a contingency fee basis. And as well, uh, going back to the beginning of our conversation, if the underground, uh, underlying work is done and it's understood that there's going to be a fight, well, then liability is an issue. And whether or not, <laughs> uh, and then when we go to point two, which is, is there a pot of gold we're going to, you know, at the end of the rainbow anyways, if we find out that there's going to be a fight, and we have reason to believe there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, you can understand why a lawyer is going to say, I'm not going to take this on a contingency fee basis. If you want me to go forward, right. happy to do it, but you're going to have to pay my hourly rate. How have you noticed things change here over the last, well, let's use the last two years with the pandemic. It, it's funny. We, we, for the longest time, didn't even want to address how much it's changed business, but how, how has it changed things for you? Is there, has there been a monstrous increase in the business coming your way, or is it actually declined? It's um, so busy. Okay. <laughs> Every, uh, and I'm going to summarize it this way for you. Everybody who has a contract with somebody else either wants to enforce it or get out of it. Okay. So everybody is suing everybody else. I couldn't be happier. It's very busy. Okay. Tell me briefly. You were supposed, what, to, you were supposed to laugh. I, I, I just, I didn't know if I, if I should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm serious. It's, it's really, really busy. Yeah. And I think across the board, uh, lawyers who do litigation, uh, co corporate commercial litigation like me, they're going to tell you the same thing. And, and that's a, a lousy thing to have to report. Right. In other words, the, uh, the economic doom and gloom is absolutely out there. Okay. Right? It's absolutely out there. I always ask people this, how do people get a hold of you? Are you allowed to say that? Because it's, uh, we know how people can get a hold of MedCredit because this is their podcast, but if somebody is thinking of coming to you, how do they come to you? Can you say that? Um, well, I can easily say it. Uh, you know, my law firm is Witten LLP. My name's Howie Snyderman. Uh, if you do like everybody else in the world does nowadays, get your phone out and do a Google search, you're going to find my uh, contact info from my law firm So, and my name. So that's how you get a hold of me. Um, that's the simplest. The reality is most of my work comes either from repeat clients right. or referrals from, from clients. I love it, frankly, when the other side of a lawsuit some years ago then comes to me and says, you know what, I, uh, you were on the other side, but I really like the way you handled that file. Would you now be my lawyer? That happens from time to time, too. Um, and then in my firm, I'm 25 floors in the air on Jasper Avenue, downtown Edmonton. Uh, people aren't walking into my office uh, because because of that, they they you know their their referrals, their repeat clients, um, or they've looked you know they've heard about me in some way, shape, or form. 
It would be impossible to touch on this subject and, and cover it all. So, uh, you know, I, I hope we've been able to give people a little bit of a taste of what it's all about. Is there anything we're missing? Anything that you want to sum up? Um, I think it's simple, again, to, to leave people with this uh, understanding. There are pros and cons to having a lawyer assist you to collect a debt as opposed to a collection agency. And the most important things you could do to help yourself is do a little underground detective work yourself to determine, does it look like the other side is going to fight you? And if, uh, if they've got uh, a chance realistically of recovery, assuming the answer to, uh, you understand the answer to those two questions, you'll probably be able to figure out better whether you want to have a lawyer assist or the collection agency take a stab at it for you. Um, and then if you don't know the answer to those questions, then start out with either one of them. Get the answer to those two questions first, and then you can make you can switch. Believe me, um, there are lots of times that I get referrals from collection agencies where these, you know, we're, we've got a liability issue and you're going to need a lawyer. And lots of times where I say to clients, this is not economical for you to be having me assist. It looks like there's a chance for, for you to recover here. But this claim, it doesn't warrant this kind of ridiculous hourly rate, right? Well, that's it for today's episode of Overdue Advice. A big thank you to Howie Snyderman from Witten LLP for sharing his insight on today's podcast. Now, it's pretty easy to find us online. MedCredit is on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, at MedCredit. You can also check out Brian Sommerfeld's blog. Easy to find that, too. It's blog.medcredit.com. And don't forget the website also includes numerous helpful tools and calculators to assess your business debt risk. We also want to hear from you, so subscribe, like, or leave us a review on this or any of our podcasts. And make sure you share this podcast with your friends or business associates. You can drop us a line at overdueadvice at medcredit.com. Overdue Advice, the podcast about cash flow strategies to grow your business. I'm Bryn Griffiths. You run a business, you're successful. You don't wait for things to happen. You make them happen. So why aren't you collecting what's owed to you? The longer you wait, the less chance you'll ever see a cent. <laughs> so call MetCredit. We're your local debt recovery team, serving businesses of all sizes since 1973. And don't worry, we play nice. We're here to uphold your reputation and relationships. And speaking of nice, if we don't collect, you don't pay. Zero risk. Get to know us for when you need us at metcredit.com.